This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. He'll be in the co-host chair for the next couple of months while Michael Edgeley is on international duties for the Women's World Cup in France, which kicks off in exactly two weeks' time. <laughs> exactly, that wasn't Michael, but we'll be talking to him soon with the host France taking on Korea Republic at the famed Parc de Prince. First edition news, though, with Willem van Denderen shortly. But for the second year in a row, the A-League champions are a different team than the Premiers, with Sydney FC upsetting Perth in another controversial VAR-marred grand final. Not that the Sky Blues coach Steve Corica would care. We'll talk to the man himself to kick off the show. Then after a turbulent period as head of the A-League back in 2009-10, Archie Fraser is now back inside the tent as the recently announced CEO of expansion side MacArthur Southwest United. We're all hoping Archie's second stint in the domestic top flight is more successful than the last one and looking forward to a chat with him on how he plans to make that happen. Then we'll return to the grand final review with my co-host, our very own former Notts County man and 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League, Dean Hennessy, to go through the decider in detail in the second hour. As we always do, Willem will kick off with second edition news with the latest on Socceroos' Matilda Central, then ahead of a bumper week in playoff action where Wembley will host three sellout matches over three days, including the one dubbed the most valuable match in world football, the promotion decider between Aston Villa and Derby County. We're going to chat to the villains' legend, Peter With who famously scored the winner in the 1982 European Cup final to go head-to-head with his mate Dino, who's desperate for a derby win. Then continue, as we will, with our European action with all of the other continental competitions, which we don't talk about often enough. And then we're going to head over to Bangkok, where Edgley is in transit before he goes to Europe for stoppage time. Dino, are you on the edge of your seat, mate? Is this... With all the football that we've watched in recent times, all the great games, you've watched the A-League Grand Final, the Champions League, the comeback for Derby in the semi-final. Are you just hanging out for this match on um, Monday night, our time? Yeah, I am actually. I mean, I think I mentioned in last week's show that the last two weeks of football has just been absolutely incredible. And I can't think at any time in my life I can remember so much drama in the vast majority of all the, the outcomes. It was just unbelievable. It was like you couldn't have written the script. And when you thought the script was written, mm. it would just throw it right back in your face 30 mm. seconds to go. Just unbelievable. So I've got a feeling, because I think it's all evenly matched these finals, mm. that there's plenty of drama still ahead of us. So hopefully mm. we have another weekend of unbelievable outcomes so it should be good yeah yeah well it's going to be exciting there's no doubt about that because you've got the league one and two playoffs as well so uh, look i'm not going to steal willem's thunder he's got all that ahead of us willem g'day rob dean the 2022 world cup will remain a 32 team tournament after fifa scrapped plans to expand it to a 48 team competition fifa stated it was unfeasible for qatar to host 48 sides and that there was not enough time to schedule matches in neighboring countries It will be the final 32-team World Cup with the 2026 North America edition set to host 48 countries. Good result in my opinion, guys. I quite like the 32-team format. Yeah, and um, I watched a a five-minute video, if you can see it on socials or find it on YouTube somewhere, of uh, the development of the Qatar stadiums. Uh, You know, we've moved all... A long way since the original decision, and you know, 
to flat out corruption that, that was involved in that decision as well as Russia. Well, corruption? Uh, no, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, um, look, the one thing that I am hoping, and I, I can't claim to be an expert on this, is that we all know that uh, that Qatar's human rights record is, um, you know, and has been absolutely second rate. So that um, at least with the spotlight of the world on Qatar in recent years during that building process, that um, the, uh, the 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 fly-in, fly-out workers who comprise, I think, something like 80% more of the entire population will at least be treated with a bit more respect. And, uh, so they should. Yeah, so at least, um, OK, we know the next World Cup's in Qatar. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it happens because, you know, the changes to Europe and all that sort I of agree stuff. with uh, Willem, though. I think 32 is the right number. Mm. I mean, I know they're moving on, but I think good result. A ticketing error has seen people buying bundles of tickets for the upcoming Women's World Cup be allocated separated seats. FIFA has been inundated with complaints after the seats allocated separated families, in some instances uh, parents from their children. FIFA claimed only 1% of people were affected by the issue and that it was only relevant for semi-final and finals tickets, but going off social media reaction, it's a much bigger problem than that. If you go to their website right now, so the FIFA.com Women's World Cup, there's a the headline on that website uh, when the World Cup's two weeks away. Um, it, it's, it's about that very issue and it's got a phone number, a contact phone number and an email address. It says FIFA and local organising committee are continuing to work towards finding the best solution for all fans attending the FIFA Women's World Cup in particular doing everything they can to ensure that families will always be seated together. Any ticket holders with questions can make should not hesitate to contact the customer help desk. <laughs> we should ring it. We yeah. should. Because it'd be early yeah. morning over there. <laughs> Find out what's going on. Brilliant. Back locally, the worst-kept secret in the Australian game has been confirmed, with Mark Rudin officially announced as Western United manager. Rudin stated he was comfortable with his conduct in dealing with United while still coach of Wellington, and stated he was kept in the loop in regards to the signing of players at United. Interestingly, uh, to the disappointment of some Phoenix fans, Phoenix players Philip Curto and Max Burgess will join Rudin in Melbourne, but he stated, "...not at any stage have I approached or spoken to any of my ex-Wellington players." Did they come to me? That is a different story. So intriguing there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, look, we've, we've all tapped one or two up along the journey. Uh, it's synonymous in uh, football, to be honest. It, it happens everywhere. I mean, you, know, you, it's you, synonymous you, in life. Well, you do because you, know, you have to find happens. out, you know, Willem, do you want to come join us? Mm. No, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Oh, okay, mm. no problem. But if you don't ask and then, you know, mm. you're always wondering. So... Mm. Look, it is what it is. I mean, I, I always, I always, if I got a call, I always, always used to always speak to my boss, the president, yeah. say, I want permission to go and speak to them. I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm happy where I am, but I want to go and hear what they're going to say. Mm. And I used to go, come back, and he said, how are you going? I'm staying here. I told you that. I'm happy. <laughs> and so, if Rudin had done the truly moral thing and only started dealing with players now that he's already been signed, all those players would have been off the market. It was just far too late. So it's mm. the nature of the beast, beast unfortunately. Of course. Yeah. Adelaide United have confirmed Gertjan Verbeek will be their new manager, securing the Dutchman on a two-year deal. It will be Verbeek's first managerial job outside of Europe, having managed eight sides in Holland and Germany. In similar sentiments to his predecessor, Marco Kurz, Verbeek said, I can promise Adelaide United fans our team will be incredibly hard-working and hope to entertain you all with some high-quality football. Well, he's under hiding to nothing, really, because, um, you know, Marco Kurz for... They pretty well did that, didn't they? Well, he did, didn't he? He's almost <laughs> in the grand final, you know, almost... Uh... Penalty away. Exactly, and uh, you know, um, Paul Izzo, got a feel for him. He um, he would have been the hero for um, for United, and 
and you kept Marco Kurz. Do you um, think Marco Kurzer could be the new manager of Melbourne Victory? That'd be very tasty. An Adelaide manager coming and managing the Victory. That's yeah, that's the little, that's what I'm hearing yeah. on the grapevine. Okay. I don't know if it's true, but you know. It well, you know, you, you, it's, there's something about the Germans, isn't there? They um, they, they know how to get things organised. <laughs> they do. So, uh, well, we've been on the back end of it for a long, long time. Exactly. So, <laughs> so um, yes. Yeah, well, we've already made enough comment on that last week, but uh, we won't go there again. The uh, Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Kurtz. Uh, he, um, as long as he... Um, he has got the full um, and unequivocal support of uh, of everyone at the organisation, then bring him on. Kevin Musket has managed his last game in charge of Melbourne Victory and will depart the club next week after 14 years. Musket said an emotional farewell, having mutually decided to split from the Victory, having been manager since 2013. Although this um, uh, clearly can seize you in emotional time, uh, I'd like to, to look upon it as a... A time of celebration. Celebrating what um, uh, what we've built together. Celebrating what we've achieved together. Celebrating 14 strong years together. So it was a compelling press conference and given the emotion in his voice, I'm not so convinced that it was as mutual as it was made out to be. However, I do think in the long term, It'll be a good move for both club and manager. I think he's got to leave the victory if he wants to grow. Yeah, look, I do. I mean, I've, I've sent him a message and he sent it one back. It was, uh, you know, he must have been loads of messages going to him, but he replied the next day and I just said, we'll leave you alone, let you breathe and then hopefully get you back on box to box and and see what the next venture is. I'm, I'm hearing rumours, but again, it's rumours. I can't say that this is fact that there's a potential role within the Australian setup. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I I can see what you're saying, Willem, and um, and it, it sort of makes sense um, that uh, that he might have been um, encouraged to make that decision. But Muskie is as cunning as the proverbial outhouse rat, and um, he is a bloke who knows that there are two types of coaches in football: ones that are have been sacked, and ones that are about to be sacked. And um, and he's clever. He knows. He's been around the game long enough yep. that you get a 14-year stint from the foundation point of view. It goes out on his own terms. It is emotional. It's a tough decision when you've got to make a decision that, um, you know, you might uh, have one more year left in you and the, the people around you love you. But um, he uh, he's made the call. I'm prepared to accept that it was on his yeah, own. Yeah, I know. And, I've, um, I think it's hard. You can act. Everyone can act. But that wasn't acting. Yeah. And the other thing is, for me, his, his, his results based mm. on that tenure when he was the manager, yeah. good outcomes. Yeah. You know, they were always at the pointy end. You know, they missed out on a couple of grand finals. But, you know, like, well, we're not winning it, but they were right at the top end all the time. Excellent. All right. Well, well done, Willem. It's a, a great start to the show. Looking forward to our next chant, Dino. Um, Stevie Corker, I said in the opener that he's not going to care about VAR as long as it went his well, way. Well, but... I tell you what, he did care when, when it exactly. was disallowed. Well, I, I, oh. you didn't need to work too hard to read his lips, just put it that way. It, uh, yes. That's for sure. He had some be, I, I'm views. looking forward to that conversation. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to Steve Corker, the championship winning coach, not the premier, the championship that's winning it. coach, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and last Sunday night, Sydney FC don't go off and 
into games, big games as outsiders. But on this occasion, they did. They were facing the Premiers, the rampant Premiers, who'd taken all before them in front of a hostile 60,000 home crowd. But they got the job done. And the man who led them to that famous victory was Steve Corica, the cap- the coach, of course, of uh, the Sky Blues. Welcome back to Box to Box, Steve. Thank you. Nice to, have, nice to be on, mate. And, uh, mate, congratulations. And, um, uh, mate, we would... Uh, have been surprised if you had anything other than a scratchy throat, mate. So we're going to work with it, mate. So what yeah, an amazing night it was. Yeah, it was. It's a special, special thing to win the championship, uh, especially away from home as well. It's, uh, you know, in front of their home crowd, 60,000, like you said, a record crowd for a A-League grand final. And, um, yeah, it was tough. It was always going to be tough going there. They, they had a great season, Perth. Um, but, you know, I had great belief in our boys that we'd, we'd go there and win. I, I had a good feeling. Um, you know, the boys that we have have got a lot of experience in final football and, you know, they, they got through in the end. And look, uh, personal congratulations um, and, and a stack of kudos goes to you. I know you're a humble bloke, so, um, you know, please accept, you know, the yep. the, the gratitude of um, of the football uh, supporting public for, uh, for turning... Um, uh, the Mark One of the the modern era of Sydney FC into uh, an equally good and efficient uh, machine in in Mark Two. I mean, uh, you uh, were you know Arnie's offsider for a while there, and you know you're really on a hiding to nothing going into this season. Yeah. So um, I, I guess there must be some sense of you know not only satisfaction, of course, and and pride, but a little bit of relief as well. A lot of people said you've got big shoes to fill with after coming after Arnie and uh, you know and I and I did of course um, you know we won a few trophies in the last couple of years under Arnie so but I just uh, knew it was the right time um, I knew the players um, you know that we that I was going to keep were were good they've been there before we we obviously freshened up with some new players from overseas and stuff but there was a lot of disturbance this year it wasn't only just Arnie leaving there was a lot of staff other staff leaving you know we didn't have really a stadium to play and we played in three different stadiums so when I just looked back the last day I've, I looked at it and you know obviously winning the championship is is fantastic for the boys and the coaching staff. It's great, but we also made the cup final early in the year, and you know we finished second, which is you know a bit disappointing in the in the, the minor premiership. But you know we were we were up there and we we're very close to, to winning that as well. So we we're you know overall it's been a pretty good season. Bimbi, it's Dino here. Uh, congratulations! Hello, I'm del- I'm absolutely delighted for you. I spoke to Tell pretty well after the game uh, before it all really started. He was so chuffed for you as well. So, I mean, again, it's um, I'll echo the, the words of what uh, Rob's just said to you. But I thought there was a couple of couple of issues. I mean, we'll go to the first one, the VAR. But also, I think there was a I've seen a bit of a a bit of a video analysis on how you defended as a team to stop them creating chances. So we'll start with the first part, the VAR. Yeah, they got it wrong. I, they certainly did. <laughs> that mate. You know, it could have been a lot easier that game because really we should have won it in 90 minutes. Um, if they, you know, the, if they got it right, the decision. I think you know you saw the Fox Sports footage and with the lineup, you can see definitely he's on side. So, but it's hard to, uh, you know. Has anybody explained to you why the viewers at home could see that line on Fox Sports, but that the officials on the night didn't have access to the same technology? That's the thing that I just can't get my head around. Yeah, no, they, no, I haven't had any explanation. I'm not sure if Danny Townsend has or, or the club, but uh, I haven't. But, you know, 
you know, from the feng shui, you can see the line. They put a line up, and I think apparently the VAR don't have that line. Um, they do have the Fox footage, though, I think. But, you know, I think the decision was made before they maybe even saw that, because when it come up on the stadium, you can yeah. see clearly that it's on site. And, you know, it was a big error, and it could have been very costly for, for us as a football club and myself and for the players. But, well, reading uh, your lips, yeah. we could tell that you weren't very happy, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't, I, wasn't. I actually think that could be the most angry you've been. You know, the final game, which you worked so hard to get to the final game, the final, yeah. and then, you know, a decision like that could really cost you in the end. Now, obviously, you've uh, you've known Tony Popovich for a long time, and obviously, yeah. we all know he's a really good manager and coach yeah. and leader. But did you expect him to make the change that he made, bringing Chain Easy in and keeping Keo on the bench? No, I didn't, to be honest. I, I said that uh, when I saw it on, on Fox. Um, I didn't expect it. Uh, I know why he did it, yep. but I didn't expect him to, to do it because, you know, Keo's been leading golf this season and, you know, he's in good form. Yeah. Uh, played, played in the semi-final as well and, and they won that. So, no, I didn't expect it, but, um, yeah, it's probably worked well for us. I was looked at this video and it's obviously been analysed by specialists and what they've looked at is how Josh Palante and Brandon O'Neill covered the back four on both sides. So every time yeah. Castro got into decent little pockets, they couldn't find yeah. him because he was surrounded. Yeah. And they, they were measuring that up against something that had happened, you know, overseas and measuring that how it worked there and it worked here. Was was that something that you'd planned yourselves or was it the the boys took it upon themselves to do it? No, that was definitely, definitely tactics that we looked at. Yeah. You know, I knew you were going to claim that. You've got <laughs> to claim those things. They like to get in between the lines yeah. and between our midfield and, and back line. And, you know, for me, Castro is a very good player and he's, uh, you know, he was one of the danger men that I related to our boys, him and the Economides, were the ones I thought we really had to stop from getting on the ball and dribbling at us and, and taking us on. And, you know, the midfield did a great job and, you know, Ryan Green did a good job on economies and, you know, we're other midfielders. And we, we spoke about doubling up as much as possible to stop them from having the ball. And I think it showed with Castro that he started to go deeper and deeper to get the ball that they were doing a good job. Hey, uh, Steve Corrick, uh, coach of Sydney FC, you, you'd also probably be aware that, uh, that there's a bunch of um, really good uh, statistics that come out of this game um, that, um, that not only um, do you become uh, one of uh, two A-League clubs now to have... Uh, have been crowned champions four times, uh, mm. Melbourne Victory being the other. But um, but in the old NSL, there's a, now uh, Sydney City, um, now known as Hakoa Sydney City East, Marconi, and uh, and South Melbourne as well. Um, it's um, the second time um, Sydney's um, won away from home. The uh, the yeah. only team to to win two grand finals away from home. So yeah. a, a lot of history um, that uh, that was created out of that result. Yeah, there is, there is, but I think it just goes to uh, the belief they have in winning. Cause, you know, people didn't think we could go there and win, but uh, you know, we we knew we could. The coaching staff knew we could. The players knew, um, and we had a very good record this season against them as well. So we've won three out of four now against them, and uh, you know, the boys boys obviously knew that it's a mental thing. Sometimes you know, they had to do it the hard way over 120 minutes and, and penalties, of course, which is you know always. Um, 
nerve-wracking to watch, but um, it was great. It was great the way we won it. You've had the wood on on them, you know, 10 out of... Uh the previous 11 uh, matches against uh, against the glory um you, you know it, um, it it's an amazing statistic and uh, when you carry that kind of momentum in against uh, an opposing side um you know it's 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 intangible but um but but players know these things don't they they definitely know it and especially you know in perth we've won a lot in games as well so um you know they they do it's just one of the things sometimes you have a team that you you just consistently keep beating and, you know, you know, mentally in the players' heads, it's in there, they know it, they just know they're going to win and it carries on. So, you know, it's good for us. But, you know, Perth have had a great year. They, they won the minor premiership. Um, you know, they're very consistent over over the year and Tony Popovich, you know, he's done a great job there. So I congratulate them as well. When it went to penalties, Bimby, what was what were your thoughts? I mean, you obviously you resigned to it. You, you hadn't got the job done, unfortunately, yeah. in the, the normal time and extras. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the goalkeepers play a massive role in this. Andrew Redmayne and obviously yeah. Liam Reddy. He was good, Liam Reddy, in the semi-final. So, Ooh, yeah. so, yeah, so you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you did lots of research and let's let's worked out which way where he wants to go and which. Well, I mean, you, you you scored every goal. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Practiced before the semi-final penalties, um, and then before the final as well. We practiced the game. We knew which end it was going to be at, so we practiced at that end at, at, on the stadium. So well, we just want to make sure that does go to the penalties, and you know, just come down to Redders at the end of the day. The keeper, you know, great to see our goalkeeper coach. You know, knew a lot of the areas that the penalties were going to go to, and you know, they worked very well together. They studied them. Did they study Brendan Santalab? Yeah, definitely they did. They, they knew he's out. Oh, I yeah. felt sorry for him in his last game. Yeah. It just was I like a well, dink, wasn't it? But um, yeah, that was one of the ones that did say to stay standing up. And wow. He'd go straight down the middle. So, you know, full credit to the coaching staff there on that. The goalkeeper coach, Sean John Crawley. Yeah, I read it, you know, he was amazing. You know, he's been amazing all season. He's made a couple of good uh, penalty saves during the year and he showed, um, you know, in the final that he could make big, big saves in big moments of the game. Just, just one thing as well, and I think it'd be a miss of us, certainly on this show, that Alex Brosk, um, not only playing unbelievably well, uh, like he yeah. always does, but what a what a player that this country's had, you know, at this level. And obviously, you you know him better than I do. Uh, yeah. I know he's tight with Terry as well. So, so pleased for Alex. I thought it was a great way to, to, to bow out, and uh, hopefully yeah. he'll be back in the game in some form uh, or another. Yeah, I'm sure he will be. Retiring from football, you know, we had the opportunity to, to go on and, and to win something. And, you know, I really drained, uh, drummed that into the boys, saying that this would be an amazing way for him to finish. I know you want him to finish as a winner. And, you know, they're, they're great boys. And, you know, they they respect Alex, uh, you know, so much. And, you know, we all do. He's done everything for the game here in Australia and, and for Sydney FC. So, you know, it's, you know, I think it's fitting that he went out a winner, mate. Sure was, mate. Well, congratulations to you. And uh, I know I speak on behalf of one of your very, very loyal fans, a family of fans uh, uh, and sponsors of our program, Michael Alafarci and his wife, Antonella. They go to every single one of your games. Their two boys, Daniel and Matthew, uh, are in the cove and uh, in the stands. And um, I was texting him throughout the night. And, uh, mate, he was just absolutely jumping out of his skin and uh, and, and just a representative of uh, of what, uh, what, what the loyalty of, of your club's fans are like. So, you brought a lot yeah, of joy to a lot of people, mate, so congratulations. Thanks very much. Steve Okorika, coach of the 
championship, championship coach, winning yes. team. It's, it's, it's got a good ring to it, hasn't it? Absolutely sure does. Well, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to speaking to Steve um, in the new season uh, when it all starts again um, in the world's longest football off-season. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you who we're going to talk to. It's going to be two years nearly before he um, he uh, gets his team running out in the park. He's, uh, is Archie Fraser, the uh, the new boss down at MacArthur. Let's find out what Archie's got to say about, uh, yeah, about all this. Yeah, quite a bit um, to say, I yes, would say. And I think they'll be happy at the FFA after, you know, scratching their heads initially that um, he will be now inside the tent peeing out <laughs> rather than outside doing what he used to do. <laughs> so that is all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, welcome back to Box to Box. Now, our next guest, Archie Fraser, is the new boss at MacArthur South West United, who are one of the expansion clubs. Not next season, the year after, but um, they're getting prepared and ready. And Archie is one of the most experienced experienced sporting administrators in this country with a background in the AFL and let's uh, face it a, um, a turbulent period back in 09-10 as the head of the A-League so Archie uh, I said uh, earlier on that they'll be happy to have you inside the tent um, rather than outside um, to put it uh, colloquially mate <laughs> Yeah well it's, it's, uh, it's nice to be back guys uh, I think um, obviously I did spend some time in AFL but um, I've always been a football person and gave you originally to play so you know friend because um, we'll have to get somebody down at the um, at the A-League to correct their website too because uh, they're not even up to date but as I uh, click on and, and see the correct link because obviously it is MacArthur FC so apologies for that um, error there mate but uh, you have had some experience dealing with uh, with football investing billionaires in the past but uh, um, before we get into the actual club itself the uh, the man who's behind this uh, is, is a relatively um, He's not anonymous, but he doesn't get it, the the public profile. Lang Walker, from uh, uh, um, in all accounts, he's um, is a, a, a passionate football man, and a lot of people know about him. But they they certainly um, will now with uh, MacArthur FC, uh, um, you know, getting involved in in um, in major sport in Australia. Yeah, well, well I think Lang obviously is uh, well respected around the, the country for uh, his development company Walker Corp. Um, and, and they, you know, they're a significant player, and certainly he's, he's uh, you know, very wealthy. Um, you know, his probably his first love is rugby union um, and sailing, um, but he's been heavily invested in that region and that area for probably 25 years. He's been building large projects and, and heavily involved. And the council asked him initially to be an ambassador, um, not so much to put money in to help them sort of guide the way through how they might secure uh, a license. And uh, he ultimately got. Um, 
they, they ended up merging with uh, two other very strong football people from the region, uh, Gino Maro, um, who's heavily involved in the south, uh, the, the associations in the southwest, um, and obviously uh, Sam Kreslovich, who's uh, was uh, still is involved and was involved heavily with Sydney United, um, gone back to the you know the formation of the A League. Um, so we've got two local guys who've played this football and know this football in that area, and then we've got um, Lang, who has got the I suppose the passion for growing things successfully, and uh, so the combination is pretty good to be honest. It's, uh, it's been you know, I've been really impressed by both of them and, and their their roles within the development of the brand and the club and and the way they put the bid together. So it's quite a complimentary team in terms of how it's working uh, so far, and I think it should be great. So Archer, you've got the you've got the nickname the Bulls. Uh, we've got the stadium pretty well sorted <coughs> uh, for 2020 slash 21. Also, you've got the the manager or the the coach in place. A great appointment in Ante Milicic. Yeah, I think um, that when I started talking to him, you know, I think um, you know, I haven't known the mechanics of and the challenges of stadium around the country that the A League faces. Um, that was one of my first questions because you know it's pretty hard to make the club successful. Um, but in this case, we've got a, a ready-made stadium at Campbelltown. It's owned by the council. The council is a significant partner with us. Um, uh, there's five councils in the region that have, have all backed what we're doing. But Campbelltown Council actually on the stadium, so Super. we're going to be the main the main tenant there. Um, and you know, likely to play 15, 17 games a year. There's only three games already the league played there right now mm. by West Tigers. And the general feeling I've had by being there the last few weeks is that you know rugby league's walked away a bit from the area, mm. and um, the locals are not you know that uh, impressed by that. But there's a very, very solid football um, pedigree there with, you know, nine uh, NPL teams at various levels, but nine NPL teams in the region. So, you know, I, I haven't met um, really any pushback to uh, people getting excited about the club and how it will, how it will develop and integrate that area. The, the other thing is you've got a catchment area of 750,000 people already, and it's growing... I've, I've, to be honest with you, I've been in Australia since 1980, and I've never really seen growth like it as I drive around. Um, and it's not just housing growth; there's, there's business growth here. And generally, that area doesn't—it doesn't need to be part of Sydney. You know, they're, they're not driving there every day. So there's, there's almost a—you uh, know—it reminds me of where I come from in, in the UK. I bet I'm sort of some towns near Stirling, but we—you know—we didn't have to go into Glasgow or Edinburgh every day to feel good about ourselves. And I think that that seems to be what that region's all about. There's, there's good wealth, um, there's proper businesses, there's, and we might just give them the identity that they need to, uh, you know, band together because they've been kind of left out to dry a little bit by rugby league, and, and we've got a, a 20,000 capacity, or 18,000 capacity stadium uh, with 12,000 seats and 5,000 on the family hill. Um, it's you know, there's a lot of a lot of texture, so uh, quite uh, you know, so a lot of good things in place. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to the, the new head of uh, MacArthur FC a couple of years out from joining the competition, but it will be a very busy couple of years before the team first kicks a ball in anger at Campbelltown. And having grown up in the western suburbs of Sydney and um, and 
you know, visited Campbelltown a lot for sporting uh, games, rugby league mainly. I, I really take on board what you're saying because it, it, whilst it is a rugby league heartland, it is also, as you say, um, a, a well-known football heartland. And uh, and for those uh, of our listeners around the, the country, around the world, in fact, uh, who aren't uh, familiar with Campbelltown, um, it um, it is a, a major satellite and very well-established satellite city of Sydney. And uh, and uh, John MacArthur, of course, uh, the uh, most influential pastoralist in the um, in the foundation days of Australia. So the name really is um, a heritage name in in, in Australian, um, not only uh, uh, life but the development of the, of this country itself. Yeah, and look, the launch the launch date we had last week, we had six hundred people there, um, you know, and, and most of them paying to, um, to to book the tables. Um, again, that that sort of impressed me. So uh, you, you know, you're always going to get a bit of excitement around some kicking something off. But the caliber of people in the room and the support that we've had since then, just you know, unsolicited emails coming in saying, you know, how do we get involved? We want to do mm-hmm. corporate stuff. I mean, I've been, uh, I just got back from Melbourne tonight and and um, to clean some things up. But you know, this week I'd suggest that we've already got a couple of sponsors in the. Mm. You know, and well and truly in a six-figure market that are mm. interested in, mm. uh, not even you know furniture, properties, or things like that. Just how do we get involved from a community aspect? Um, we also announced the Indigenous Academy we're going to have for men and women, which is you know really the first time that that's been done in the country, and mm. we'll base ourselves at the Western Sydney University, and they're 100% behind it. Um, again, that's fully funded. We've had the council, um, West Sydney University, and Lang- and Walker Corp get behind uh, funding um, the development of an Indigenous uh, academy for both men and women, a, a national uh, facility we want to build, and that will be at the um, uh, Centre of Excellence that's currently being designed and, and you know, it's, it's the funding's already in place for that. Um, yeah. That will be built at the Western Sydney University for the best, you know, I think it's about $45 million facility. So, um, again, it, it's, you know, I think the region was waiting for it. Obviously, yeah. with St. Dante as well, which is, as you say, is a great, um, you know, great to secure something like that from the area and is really well respected. And, and I think we all know he, he should have had a gig in the A-League, you know, well before now. And, and um, obviously, the work he's doing with the Matildas is recognised as, I think, the quality he's got. But, um, you know, you, you can't help but be impressed by not just his CV, but the, the block himself. He, you know, he's well respected and by the players and, uh, and well and truly has, I think, he hasn't his uh, strikes for uh, an opportunity in, in his home, you know, his backyard, which is great. So, so yeah, we've got a lot of good things in place. Yeah, it's exciting, and uh, and just to expand on that sort of proximity um, uh, of you know the actual location of Campbelltown, as as the city of Sydney just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know there's less appetite for for families to want to jump um, in the car and drive an hour just get to the fringes of Sydney, let alone to drive to the other side of town. It can be a two-hour drive to 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 some parts of Sydney for somebody who lives in Campbelltown to have a um, a first-class uh, team on your doorstep, and then you've got um, you know the the drive up from Canberra takes about an hour off. You know, to have to drive into Sydney so people can come up from Canberra, all the regional areas like Goulburn and further out Wagga. So um, there's a massive catchment area for MacArthur, and uh, it just seems like uh, it's uh, it's a team destined for success. So um, Archie, we wish you luck, and um, and we'll be following closely. No doubt we'll talk to you several times, uh, and next time we introduce you, we'll get the name right from the top. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all new, guys. So no uh, no problems with that. But yeah, look forward to um, any time you want me on, and uh, happy to give you updates. But it's 
this is, you know, I think we're going to be ready to go uh, when the league's ready, and, and I think it's going to be exciting times for the region, and I think we can probably build something that, you know, they're that they want to follow, which is really what we're fighting for. So, uh, yeah. More strength to your arm, Archie. Good luck. Yeah, same for Thanks, me Charlie. as well, uh, Archie. Archie Fraser, the CEO of. MacArthur FC, the uh, the second. Of it's the exciting, isn't it? It's super exciting. It I really. I mean, there's is. plenty of questions we could have gone. I could have gone. Oh, well, 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 Archie we'll back uh, often finds himself down in Melbourne. He's originally from Melbourne, so we, well, maybe next time we find himself down in uh, in this part. Of, yeah, yeah, we'll ask him, invite him into the studio. All right, well, we're going to talk um, more A League. Uh, we're going to reflect a little bit more on on the grand final and a little detail. I know we've already spoken to to uh, Bimbi Corico about it and his excitement, but uh, but what went wrong for Perth? How come they couldn't come back? Uh, they had everything to play for, and uh, they couldn't fire a shot, no, and uh, and couldn't get the result. So um, you know, there are a lot of disappointed Perth supporters, uh, and uh, Popper can't get the chocolates can't take again. A trick, can All right, we? we'll talk about that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Of yes, all. this is Box to Box, and this is the. Uh, A-League Grand Final Wrap-Up. We've already talked to Steve Corica, a very happy Steve Corica, uh, earlier in the show. But before we do, we're getting towards the end of May. Can you believe it? It's nearly June. The Mayhem Mega Sale continues at Chemist Warehouse. Now, if you need to stock up on your vitamins, there is no better time because there, right now, at Chemist Warehouse, is half price off the recommended retail on the big brand vitamins, Swiss, Caruso's, Thompson's, exactly, Blackmore's, Wagner, the Biogland, Synovus, Naturopathica, Ethical Nutrients, Neutralife, Nature's Way, Nature's Own, and Go Healthy. Chemist Warehouse have everything. Mate, they're fairly come to Willem, you're a fit young rooster. You'd be into the Chemist Warehouse vitamin B. Yeah, don't mind. 50% off anything's pretty good, so might have to head in. Good on you, mate. And Dino... You know, uh, you are just a legend of Chemist Warehouse. Yeah, I love Chemist Warehouse. Get plenty of product from there. I take my magnesium every day just to keep those muscles nice and supple. The vitamin B, men's ultivite as well. Got the lot. Hey, um, Dino and Willem. Willem, just give us your take. Um, You know, we're going to... you know, have you in the studio a little more often, particularly while Michael's away, and uh, um, you know, just your view on the grand final, the way that it played out, uh, the disappointing VAR, the probably the justice of the ending. I thought it was a real shame. I thought the first 30 minutes were building towards something really quite epic. That was quite tense. I think in one-off football deciders, you need a goal early, mm. and I thought we got that legitimately in the 30th minute. It got scratched off. Um, I think from there the game sort of drifted and unfortunately the nature of the one-off finals once you get to sort of 70 minutes mm-hmm. coaches sort of look to extra time they hold their subs whereas in a regular season match they might pull a sub on 70 mm-hmm. minutes mm-hmm. so from there it just drifted and the right result was achieved in the end with Sydney given they scored the goal but I thought it was a real shame and Dino referenced the, the Kianese, um Keo decision yeah that would have just rocked the change rooms a little bit uh, you can say what you like as a player but I think that'd be just thinking, why has he, why has he done that? Why has he unsettled us going in? And Keo looked pretty flat when he came on. So maybe he wasn't able to put that disappointment well, I think out of he, his mind. If, if you look at Keo's body language when he gets brought off, doesn't matter what time he gets brought mm. off, whether it's tactical, tired, whatever, he, he doesn't want to come off. And look, nobody's going, yeah, get me off. I get that. But I thought I would have started Keo and I would have let... Um, 
I would have let Castro have a, a role where he could actually roam and, mm-hmm. and go into pockets because he played pretty high up. They've got two decent defenders marking him. Then they had also the double team of uh, uh, Josh Berlanti and Brandon O'Neill blocking his channel, so they couldn't actually find him. So all of a sudden now you've got a player who's one of the most creative players in the in the A-League and has turned games on its head all year for Perth, and yet he hasn't been used in the final where I think that's where he possibly could have. I know it's easy in hindsight. Popper's a much more experienced manager than I am. But just from my viewpoint, I would have loved him to just have a free role. Go where you want to go and get the ball, start things up, and then try and get away as you, 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 you're actually taking people away from other players so other people can come in and, and fill that space. I agree. And I think having Keo in, he could have muscled up a bit more against Wilkinson and Calver and let Castro roam a little bit more in the end. He sort of played... Two quick and nippier players with Keen Aze who didn't have well, a great not, impact. Well, there's not enough on him either. No. I mean, even Akanamidas, even though he's direct, he's not like a brute, like tackling and like body to body, but he's still a super, super player. Yeah, he was fantastic, I thought. And, out um, a little bit, and Popper, guys, um, the, the, the curse continues. Look, it's, it's, I, I spoke to someone and I can't remember who it was. Um, so it's, it's not, I'm not making this story up, but he said, and it was somebody of authority said, look, Tony Popovich in home and away has every single down to the last second of all the preparation. Right. But finals football, like it is in AFL as well, it goes a different level and there's different rules in that. And maybe it's too busy in a final. If you look at the way, just use the semi-final where the crew's in and then all of a sudden they're on the back foot again. And they haven't really looked like that in any home and away game all year. Across a lot of their home and away games, you're right, it is in control from sort of go to woe, but it is a different atmosphere in the final. So maybe his match day coaching isn't uh, as the same standard as his coaching throughout the week, the way he sets them up. And maybe he should have been a bit more aggressive with his substitutions or not made that move in the first place. Yeah, look, it's easy in hindsight, but look, it's still a wonderful manager. And I still think he's got a massive career ahead of him. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be obviously part of that development it's four finals that hasn't gotten mm. the result it's hard and you know what it does it just it goes to the next one and goes yeah. well, am i going to win yeah. this one yeah. Yeah. I, i'm just looking at it from the, the sort of the the bigger picture point of view as well um, the disappointment of the way the the theater of the night played out in that uh, you know you would have had a lot of theater goers there the um the, the the general sports fan who wanted to roll up and see a, a sellout grand final and uh, and watch uh, their local team crowned as the champions uh, on top of their premiership and uh, and it was unfortunately a, a defensive dull game and uh, the uh, the pitch wasn't as um, wasn't, as we wasn't know the quality we should have it wasn't and um, and then they lose so unfortunately you know a lot of those people I, I don't think we would have won them over to, no. to football um, after after that you can't guarantee them a result rocking mm. up on the day of course but I think yeah it was definitely killed and I, unfortunately it does come back to that one decision my big question on it is Fox Sports show that yellow line which we all saw mm. but the VAR don't use that yeah. it can't be too complicated or maybe a matter of a bit of money to get 
the FFA or FIFA to buy that technology off Fox, crazy. implement that into their VAR, just as cricket did with They've the... got enough money. Yeah. <laughs> I think cricket did the same when Channel 9 had the SNCO technology. Yeah. That wasn't mm. part of the ICC mm. referral system. Mm-hmm. They bought it off the broadcaster yeah. and tied it in. I think the FFA... It's a must-do. Must it's a must-do because then it just clears it because everybody's in the stadium. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? If it was oh. a, a, a balanced crowd, you could have a right on your hands. Mm. You know? And, and, and it's not, you know, football has had its moments. But mm. I just wanted to talk about the penalty shootout uh, just to close. Santa Lab's penalty. Um, oh no! I, I, I feel, we did I, talk a bit, and, and it, it is, Bimby did mention that he, he was uh, sad for him. He was, and but they'd done their homework, and he did had, say that that, they that you know they they told the keeper you know to stand up straight. Yeah, Andrew Redmayne, star. Yeah, I mean Grant Grantis was a good one. Ready almost got O'Neills, so there was there was little opportunities, little windows, but to miss your first two. Uh, no, no, they missed two. In fact, they'd scored one, didn't they? It was just Wyandy. Yeah, so, exactly. There you go. Yeah, that was a real shame. All right, well done, Willem. Um, stick around, you got news after the break. Dino, we do. you're not going anywhere. All right, boys, um, we have got Peter With your mate Peter With. He's uh, a villain's star. Yeah, he's going to uh, wind you up a little bit. <laughs> Europe, an edge from Bangkok. Yeah. That's all coming up after the news on box to box Now, this is box to box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to box to box second edition with Willem, Willem van Ender and shortly second edition news, including Socceroos and Matilda's Central... Peter Wirth, legend of Aston Villa, 1982 European Cup winning side and will be on the edge of his seat again, ahead of the uh, playoff championship, the most expensive, wealthiest, however you describe it, game in the world. More Europe, stoppage time with Edgeley in Bangkok. Willem, what do you got? Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Support the Oliroos in Thailand next January as they look to qualify for the Olympics. Head to greenandgoldarmy.com for details. Some key Matildas managed crucial minutes in their final club games before they headed to Turkey for the pre-World Cup training camp. Steph Catley returned from a calf injury to play 45 minutes for Rain FC as they went down to Sky Blue, while Lydia Williams remained on the bench. Chloe Legazzo also managed a full shift for Washington Spirit on the comeback trail, although Hayley Rasso didn't see any time on the park. Kaya Simon played most of the second half for Houston Dash. She's, of course, been left out of the squad, but is still on standby in Turkey. And Sam Kerr netted both goals for Chicago as they won a clash with Houston 2-1, while Caitlin Ford also found the net in Portland. Kaya Simon getting more time on the park. Dino, I always subscribe to the theory in some of these long tournaments that um, if you are in the standby group you know and there's only two players in that group that you're more likely than not to end up at the tournament so mm. you should prepare as if absolutely you should yeah yeah mm. <clears throat> without doubt i mean yeah. it's it's crazy yeah and willem you mentioned um sam kerr there good uh, good news for sam during the week coming third in the, third, yep. the bbc um sport uh, uh women's footballer of the year that was that was a great story and uh ada hedeberg was um crowned the um the footballer of the year uh, uh, for uh, the ladies, she, um, but good good result for Sam. No, very good. Certainly was. So in terms of Ada, she's last year claimed the first ever female Ballon d'Or. Mm. This is her second BBC Women's Footballer of the Year, and earlier this week she scored a hat trick in the Champions League final. Mm. That was her 
fourth Champions League with Lyon mm-hmm. to go with her five French Cups and five league wins. Legend. Goes okay. And she's you? just 23 years old. Wow. So <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> That's, how good is that? Incredible. Brilliant. That is superb. To the Aussie men, three have lifted silverware across the world in the past week. Danny Vukovic's Genk were crowned uh, champions of Belgium. They've claimed their fourth title overall and first since 2011. Vukovic played all but three of the 40 games uh, across the season. Albemarle's Mitchelland also lifted the Danish Cup following a 4-3 victory on penalties. Mabil came off the bench and scored the fourth of his side's penalties. In Saudi Arabia, Brad Jones' Al Nasser were crowned champions winning the title just one point ahead of Milos Degenex Al-Hilal. And finally, Socceroos captain Mark Milligan will leave Hibernian after just one season in Edinburgh, despite having a year to go on his deal. He seemed to be well-recepted in the capital and he had a consistent season, so I'm not too sure why he's finishing up there. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Graham Arnold has selected a new-look squad for the Socceroos' upcoming clash with Korea Republic, with six players in line to win their first caps. Arnold had previously stated he'd give his senior European-based players this camp off, and he's been true to his word, with 10 A-League players included in the 23. Reese Williams, Matthew Spar- and Adam Taggart are returning faces after long stints out of the national setup. Well, I think that's a good thing, Dino. I know um, that uh, a lot of the players are enjoying a, a proper holiday now for yep. the first time. And, they need uh, that. Yeah, I mean, you know better than anybody the pressures of on, on their bodies. and you know, oh, it's, a, it's unrelenting. Yeah. It's unrelenting, and, especially and, at the back end of the season. You just need to get away from it for your own self-being, to be honest. Would that have been an easy call for Arnie to, to make? Would he have had the support of the FFA to uh, to, to allow those senior players? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think he would have consulted with them and just put them in the picture and said, this is how we'll do it. And I think it's a very wise move. And a lot of those European players now will get the really good rest. Mm. So when they do come fresh, when they really get serious in the games we need to go and win, they'll be a bit fresher having not done the trip. Yeah, last off-season was, of course, the World Cup, the one before that, the Confederations Cup for a lot of those mm. players. No break. Just a shout-out for Jason Davidson, who I thought was very unlucky to miss the squad. Heinrich Mkhitaryan will not travel to Baku for Arsenal's Europa League final due to fears of his safety. Mkhitaryan is an Armenian national with his country and Azerbaijan locked in conflict over the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. Arsenal had sought assurance from UEFA and the Azerbaijan FA about his safety, but neither club or player were comfortable with the response. Arsenal have declared the situation completely unacceptable. Yeah, look, um, reading a lot on this one, uh, one particular article in The Independent uh, starts off, if the basic inability of fans to get just get to Baku for a showpiece European final should have caused reconsideration for the whole event, the fact Henrik Mkhitaryan will not be there because of the political contest should be a tipping point. It is a culmination of so many problems with staging the Europa League final in such a venue. Geographically remote, not sufficiently equipped and politically questionable. It goes on and so many other articles similarly go on and uh, we're all for taking football around the world but not at the expense of uh, human rights and uh, and unfortunately in, in this situation Mkhitaryan uh, is um, is collateral damage in a, in a far, far bigger story and it doesn't end here because... Uh, uh, the um, the same stadium in Baku will be hosting group stage and quarterfinals matches at the um, at the Euros next year yeah, in, in June July and that's um, you know just over 12 months away so. How are they going to sort that out? Don't know. I mean, look, it's an interesting one, the Euros next year, because it's obviously very different. There's a lot of venues. So, mm. But, I, you know, I think I'm looking forward to that in its own sense. But the Mkhitaryan situation feels like if had he gone, it could have been another Hakim on our hands. Mm. Mm. And, you know, that's never been brought up. I've not heard anyone talk about that. But mm. You, mm. you can see that, you know, he wasn't going there on football purposes. He was going on his honeymoon. Yeah. But he got in the wrong place at the wrong time. So Administrators who have taken over Bolton Wanderers have announced they will pay staff 
staff from their arrival on May 13, but cannot pay them what they are owed prior to that. Non-playing staff are owed their April salaries, while players and coaches are owed from March and April. Bolton went into administration following an unpaid £1.2 million tax bill. Last week, an emergency food bank was set up for unpaid staff, with the community supplying food and basic amenities. Bolton will start next season in League One with a 12-point deduction. Yeah, the deduction. Look, they're in a world of pain, mm. Bolton. Unbelievable if you only turn the clock back, or let's say just 10, 15 years. Yeah. They were in the top four in the, with under Sam Mallardyce. And Bolton's been a great club. I grew up watching them when they were in the lower leagues. And then when they got to the top leagues, they were... Had some fabulous footballers. Why has it happened to you? I think it's just been mismanaged. It's like anything, you know, you get a lot of money with this, you know, with the, the way the payments are in the Premier League, and then once you get relegated, you know, I know they get the parachute, but yeah. if you don't bounce back, you just look at Sunderland. Mm. Sunderland's just a, a glowing reference point to where Bolton currently are now, and it'll get worse, especially like if. And you've got Berry as well. I mean, uh, well, Berry promoted. get promoted. I mean, that's that's one of my mates' big teams, Brooksy. Mm. You know, the music man. He's from Berry, and uh, like he's celebrating, but then he's thinking, what they might be going out of business. Mm. So hopefully that resolves itself as well. Antonio Conte has reportedly won a legal battle against former club Chelsea, with the Blues ordered to pay him 17 million Australian dollars over his sacking last July. Conte was dismissed with a year left on his contract and argued to the Premier League manager's arbitration tribunal he was owed the payout. Chelsea argued he had breached terms of the deal in falling out with Diego Costa. Roman Abramovich has, so far in his tenure as Chelsea owner, paid $128 million in compensation to sacked coaches, and the case will go to the English High Court if Chelsea don't accept the ruling. Well, Roman won't be at the Chelsea High Court because he's not allowed there. certainly so, um... won't be. No, it's, it's, it's a funny one with because he was... You know, he was front and centre when he went when it was all going well mm. on that balcony, and mm-hmm. and now he's not involved because I think mm. it's down to his visa. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but they still did all right. I mean, third and Europa League. I mean, yeah. the thing about it, the two top teams like was a runaway, wasn't it? Yeah. So to be the best of the pack, and some of the you know the ups and down anyway. Now, boys, I usually try to deal in fact rather than rumour on this program, but this one's worth a mention, I think. Italian journalist Federico Generelli has stated Pep Guardiola is set to leave Man City and will take up the vacant Juventus job. Guardiola wrapped up an historic English treble last week, but it's the Champions League which he and the club covet the most. Now, the reason I think this could be a possibility is that Man City are, of course, chasing, are facing the Champions League ban next season. So perhaps Pep doesn't want to hang around for essentially what will be two years. Well, they're facing it. But it's not it's not been proven. Yeah, but, but perhaps he might be They're pretty thinking... confident that they haven't done anything wrong. Okay. Yeah, but the Belgian arbitrator... Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's a good point, and it's worth throwing into the mix. But there's smoke. Is there fire? I think all of us have, have he been... He moves uh, generally after three le- yeah, years yeah, anyway. Yeah, he's, well, like, he's twice he's done that. But, but none of the other major press outlets let's have really run with this thing I mean, that they're not even covering it even though it's a rumour but a, a rumour well worth floating Willem and um, yeah it deserved a run mate okay thank you <laughs> and a final one Diego Maradona has slammed a new movie about his life imploring people not to see it when it's released next month the film has been advertised reading Maradona rebel hero hustler god <laughs> Maradona said I played football and made money running after a ball I did not hustle anyone don't go and see it. Okay, well, that's uh, encouraging people to go and see it, Diego. So we will go and watch it. We'll, we'll, We're lining we'll, up now, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. Good on you, Willem. Thank okay, you. mate. Um, so Peter Wyth, looking forward to a chat with him. Um, I might just sit back and watch him and uh, and or listen to him and Dino, uh, you know, proverbially go toe to toe about the the um, the playoff final one. Yeah, it'd be big. Look, yeah. he's uh, he's a good man. He'll uh, I'm sure he'll have plenty to say about the Villa. I'm sure he certainly will. Next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
Pittsburgh Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport Now. Our next guest paid 539 games in the top flight, 11 games for the national side, but his crowning glory was in 1982 when he kicked the only goal, the winning goal for Aston Villa when they won the European Championship. European glory was what was remembered then, but uh, hopefully for his side, not Dino's, um, they'll get back up into the top flight um, after the playoffs. Welcome, Peter With back to Box to Box. Yeah, hi, Rob. Hi, Dean. Uh, hi, Peter. So, uh, Peter, as you know, Dino is um, desperate for the, the Rams to, to get the job done, mate. But um, but your pedigree with, with Villa um, suggests only one result will satisfy you. Well, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, being associated with Aston Villa for over 10 years uh, is the longest period that I had with a club. So um, my allegiance lies there, especially because, you know, all my boys... They were also sort of, um, they all live sort of around that area. So they've all sort of supported Villa and go to the games. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting because it's ironic, really, that um, the Villa went on that run mm-hmm. where they were undefeated. And the, the first game to start the run was the big Derby 4 0. Yeah, they did. Did you know that, Dino? I certainly did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not lost on me. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, they went on that run, which basically got them into the playoffs. I mean, if the season would have went on longer, they would have probably got automatic promotion because that's how mm. well they were playing. But having said that, I think that, um, you know, Derby have, have come back into the fold a little bit. I think that they had, like all teams in the championship, they all have a little bit of hiccup. You know, Middlesbrough had it, Leeds had it. Uh, Sheffield United had it as well, and uh, it was only really Norwich who had a little bit of a haircut, but not much of a haircut. And they all go through these stages where they go through a hiccup. Um, but, you know, the way that they played and, the, and um, the way that they got at teams and scored goals, and whenever I watched the game, they were always creating chances. They always created chances. So I think that... Um, and also, I think, because of last year, that the players that have played in that final last year, I think it'll stand them, stand them in good stead. So I think it'll be, um, you know, it'll be an interesting final. I think it's, it's you know, people may be saying a foregone, but it isn't a foregone conclusion. I think that, you know, they beat Derby twice, but that's out the window. You know, because when you get to Wembley and when you get to a final, there's a little bit of things that happen. And people used to say, oh, players have gone down with cramp. Well, the only reason they went down with cramp is because the nerves got to them. And mm-hmm. I think, that, you know, the energy and the adrenaline flowing, that's what sort of saps your energy. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for them to, to go up. And I think that what they've got to do, really, and the number one thing, is not concentrate on everyone saying, oh, this game is worth $100 million. The mm. game is a game, and it's got to be won. And I don't think you should ever consider what is the, you know, the circumstances that will happen if you, get to the, if you get to the Premier League. I think the most important thing that the, uh, Dean Smith and his coaching staff and all the players should concentrate on is one thing, win a game. And that's the important thing.
Talking about Dean Smith, uh, how impressed have you been with him and obviously the backroom staff? Including uh, John Terry. John who's, Terry, uh, obviously, the included to take that. over at Middlesbrough. But really, I mean, he's done a fabulous job, hasn't he? Well, he has, for the simple reason is that he, he's a Villa supporter. Yeah. He was on the terrace and watching the games many years ago. Um, I think he's got a passion for the club. Of course, when you haven't played for the club but you've supported the club, then you, you have a different perspective, as it were. But I think that he's come in when he's in all the teams that he's had, you know, uh, coaching Walsall and coaching Brentford, he's always played uh, attractive football, always got players uh, come through the ranks. And I think that the style of play that he plays is, um, you know, effervescent for really the way that they've gone on this run. And I think that he's, um, he's a breath of fresh air with regards to his attacking mentality. I think that, you know, I've watched games where Villa have not really created chances and sat back. I think that he thinks that he's got to go and win games. And that, to me, is what you, is always the initiative for me as a coach, as a manager, as a player. Every game you play, go out and win. Try and win. And there is an expectation, uh, Peter, with the legend of Aston Villa and English football in general, uh, that um, Villa will go up. Spent 28 seasons in the top flight before relegation in 2016. And you've already referred to the fact that they uh, only lost 1-0 in last year's promotion final against Fulham. But uh, we've talked about Dean Smith, but what an incredible job Frank Lampard's done uh, uh, with Derby County to um, to not only get them to the position that they're in, but to, to somehow extract um, uh, themselves from a, a you know a, a, a situation where they were just meant to be cannon fodder for for Leeds at Ellen Road last week, and uh, you know that goal from that that um, goalkeeping howler just before half time that brought them back. Uh, you know, as he said at half time, he said uh, to the lads, everyone had written us off. Um, we were we were major underdogs to go through. Um, Everyone said they'd beaten us three times, but we made a little tweak. It worked brilliantly. So he, he's showing the, the signs of um, of the brilliant player that he was um, is is morphing into uh, a, a real coach of quality for the future. Yeah, well, I think that he's. Um, uh, I know I know a few people who were on the course with doing his doing his licences and felt that he was a, a little bit naive really on the courses, but I think that he's brought in people like he brought in Jody Morris who's a very experienced coach with regards to the youth team that is uh, all the youth players that have come through at, at Chelsea. So I think if you surround yourself with staff who can help you and advise you, and, but at the end of the day, you're the manager, you've got to make them final decisions and you've got to make the most crucial decisions. And he has shown really that um, he's done really well with regards to you know his first season. Uh, as you say, that uh, Leeds have beaten them three times. I think that um, Leeds haven't lost. I think they've only lost sort of one game at home at Ellen Road. So everyone, everything was, uh, oh, no, they're not going to make it because, you know, Leeds are going to push them aside. But as we know in football, things tend to just not go to plan, as it were. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really, you know, that um, he's done a, a tremendous job. And, of course, he'll be thinking and saying to the players, you know, we've, we've beaten... You know, the third team in the in the playoffs, we've beaten one of the favourites to go up, even if they were sub- probably should have went up automatically. We've knocked them out, and now we've got an opportunity to um, to go up. The big thing that people don't realise as well is that, you know, this is a derby game. I mean, 
the Midlands, you know, when we won the championship in 1980-81, we, you know, Ipswich played one um, game, which was a local derby against Nottingham, and lost. We had to play 10 local derbies. So the likes of Stoke, Leicester, Derby, Forest, County, you know, you had to play these sides and they all wanted to beat you because it was a local derby. You were yeah, of course. This, is, this is a local derby, you know. Derby playing Villa is a derby game, so it's got to be interesting with regards to that as well. So obviously, I, I think, looking as a derby fan, um, I think Jack Grealish is obviously someone we've got to contain because he does seem to pull the strings. He's obviously the captain there, seems to have matured. He's, he's, he's always had unbelievable talent and obviously he's a big Villa fan as well. He grew up there and and he loves that club. But I think if we can contain him and limit them, I still think Derby, if the momentum, you know, it's been a good momentum for them to, you know, to get beat three times by Leeds and then turn them over in their own patch. If they don't get confidence from that, they'll never get anything. But again, as you well know, going to Wembley might be just a different, a different event because of the size of it and the magnitude of what's uh, what's at stake. Yeah, and also Derby have got some young players in the side, and. Um, Knowing from experience that some people get to Wembley and just um, the old um, nerves go a little bit. But um, you're right. I mean, Jack Grealish, I remember seeing Jack when he first got into the team and felt that he had tremendous talent but wasn't utilising the talent in the games that I'd seen him play. And then all of a sudden he's come to the forefront, really. And if you look at the Villa's games, when he was got injured and when he went out the side... That was the time when they went through a sticky patch where they couldn't win a game. And then all of a sudden he'd come back into the team and they went on this tremendous run. So he is a crucial factor. I think that he does things now. He, um, he does things in games and he opens things up and, and he creates opportunities. So you're right that Derby might be having to themselves, saving themselves, we need to put someone on it and stop him from creating opportunities. So... Yeah, but having said that, Derby have got some good players in their team, and I think that it's it's going to be an exciting final. I think it's going to be a great final. So, what's the prediction then, Peter? We'll put you on the spot. Uh, oh, so, uh, well, who wins and what score? I think it's. Uh, I think really that uh, Villa are going to score. I think Tony Abrahams is uh, going through a very good patch at the moment. He wants to improve on the goal score, and he's scored twenty six goals, so he's going to be trying to get a few more so my prediction is 3-1 to Aston Villa okay well, well I, I'm tra- trying to sort of trawl back and you guys might sort of uh, have a more recent memory on this but um, but Derby County uh, were the red hot favourites in the 1898 FA Cup final after <laughs> beating one, the, their Midlands rival Aston Villa so so revenge is a dish best served cold eh, Peter <laughs> yeah, yeah we're turning back the clock there Peter are we <laughs> That is uh, turning back the clock a little bit further than what I can possibly remember. Now, before we let you go, we're all looking forward to the All English um, finals in in both the European competitions, the Champions League and the Europa Cup. Uh, That must make you a very proud uh, man to to see uh, the the level that um, that English club sides have have achieved, uh, never been done before. Absolutely tremendous. It has been done before, by the way. Because I joined, um, I joined a team in 1970, 
But um, but but what what about um, Maurizio Pochettino? What what a difficult decision he's got with Harry Kane likely to um, to come back, but um, yeah. but he might have to, to leave out the hat trick hero uh, Lucas Moura to, to put Harry on the pitch. Um, that's a, that's a yeah, tough one. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that um, he's a very experienced coach. I think at the end of the day, what you've got to think of as a manager, and what I was thinking of when I was managing is that it's the importance of the game and it's the importance of what you feel is the, is the right thing to win you the game. That's, what, that's the only thing that's in your mind. Um, the lad will be very disappointed if he gets left out the side and scored a hat-trick. But I'm sure that the manager will speak to him and say to him, look, this is the, these are the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes you, you don't like it, but you have to accept it because... You know, that's that's what the coach or that's what the manager is, is thinking about. And he's done a great job, to be perfectly honest. He's done a fantastic job at Tottenham. And I think that that is the reason why the likes of Real Madrid and other teams are looking at it at this moment in time. Peter, absolutely brilliant as usual, mate. Thank you very much for that. I'll leave it with my last prediction that Derby will turn them over 2-1 in extra time. Uh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a we'll put a beer on it, and I might come okay. over to Perth and come and uh, grab it if if I win. Okay. All right. We'll do that. All right, hey, mate. Peter. Thank you so much for sparing the time. We know you're you're going uh, under the knife pretty soon to to get those um those battered footballing knees of yours looked at. So we wish you all the best with your recuperation, and uh, and hopefully you can uh, sit on a nice comfy couch and and watch some uh, some football. Maybe the Women's World Cup. Uh, it would be a nice way to uh, to to spend a bit of time uh, um, recovering, mate. All right. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Dean. Cheers. Peter with Aston Villa, English football legend in every sense no, of the word. Top man as well. Ahead of the top championship. £170 million pounds that play last week. All right, we're going to talk more Europe. We're going to go a bit broader than we normally do uh, to the continent uh, next with um, with Dino and Willem. He's going to jump in on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial yes. goal of all. This is Box to Box, and uh, we we're going to wrap up the European League. So we'll talk a bit more about it over the, the coming weeks, but um, Dina's got a, a nice little wrap. Uh, but um, you heard in Martin Tyler just uh, throwing to us uh, that the kings of storage moving more and all of the best things about storage are, of course, our friends at Storage King. They are amazing. They really are. They're growing, growing around the country Everywhere you need to go, whether you're in a capital city or in a lot of regional areas, you, you can rely on your local Storage King to help you out. Um, there's about probably 30% of the population use storage right now, and that means that there's a hell of a lot of other people out there walking around their junk. They can't park their cars because they're not storing with Storage King. So they need to. They need to get to storageking.com.au, check out the space estimator, find out what space they need, find out what their local store is, and as Michael Jordan said, just do it. 
Storage King. I won't be here next week. I'm going to take no. a week off because I'm going to head up to Canberra and Francis Leach is going to sit in a chair with Dina, with you and, uh, and yeah. Willem. Um, and uh, I'll be at the Storage King National Conference, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, Dino, kick us off. Um, we want to start with the Dutch River de Dizé. Era de Vizy, yes. Yeah, t- table. <laughs> and it's. I'm actually going to start with actually a, a, a playoff semi-final because this is really unique. Mm. Henk de Jong from uh, de Graafschap. Dear old Henk. What, what he's done is he's, he's, he's actually currently in the league now, but obviously they're towards the bottom, this, the second bottom, and that's why they're in the playoff. Mm. But they're actually going to play again against a team called Camber, and they're actually the ones trying to come up. But what... No, what, what I heard this week is that Hank de Jong has actually already agreed to go to Cambon for next season. Mm. So all of a sudden he's going to go out there and his job is to keep his side in the top league. But if he gets turned over, he actually then stays in the top league with them coming up. Mm. So, you know, there's a... There's a there's, there's got to be well, something. Well, you know the way these Dutchies work, mate. <laughs> What's he do? It, oh, you've got to be professional, but I'm not sure what being professional actually is in that I, circumstance. Well, what do you do? got to think about next season. <laughs> Poor Hank, that's not there great. Anyway, so look, Ajax champions uh, with PS, uh, PS... And this is the first time ever that um, the five top le- leagues, uh, um, the champions, have gone back-to-back. Mm. Yeah, so Ajax have won the league, uh, PSV second, Feyenoord third and AZ Altmar they're the top four the, the t- two go into the Champions League and Feyenoord and Altmar go into um, Europa League but also there is a playoff game and there is a there is a possible spot there as well for another for another team to get in there and that's uh, Utrecht against Vitesse which mm. were teams that basically finished uh, fifth and sixth in the league so right. that's going to be played Friday and then again Tuesday over two legs mm-hmm. so that's the Dutch league and uh, the interesting story I did enjoy that the Liga was uh, Barcelona obviously uh, Atletico Madrid Real Madrid and Valencia in the Champions League spot so normal normal process then you got Getafe and Sevilla in the uh, Europa League and then Girona, Husker and Rayo Vallecano all relegated. So and there's nothing really to play. Obviously, that I think there is basically like from theirs. It's like in England, it's mm. promotion and relegation. It doesn't it doesn't change. Uh, Syria A, Juventus obviously um, with Pep Guardiola coaching yeah, with Pep going yeah. <laughs> Napoli finished second. Uh, Atalanta and followed by Inter Milan. But this is own, there's one more game to play. So there is a couple of games that are important. AC Milan are in fifth on 65 points, one point behind Inter. Roma are on 63 points, but an inferior goal difference. But Inter play against Empoli, who are just outside the relegation zone. So I can't see anything but Inter remaining and winning the game. And then basically AC Milan, Roma, and Torino have got to score a lot of goals and hope Roma get beat. So it should be like a 3-0 win and a 3-0 loss for them to have any chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genoa, uh, Frosimono and Chivo were all relegated. Uh, the French League, PSG ran away with it as usual. Uh, Lille, Lyon, all in the Champions League spot. Saint-Etienne uh, got the uh, Europa League. And uh, Khan, Dijon and Gunjamp. Gunjamp. Okay, better than well done, Rob. They're all relegated. Where did Marseille finish? Well, actually, tell a lie. There is one more game, but Marseille actually will just stay just above purely 
based on Marseille. Oh no, Marseille was sixth. Monaco, who yeah. were good last year, yes. they're in sixteenth. Well, ever since were... um, uh, Kylian Mbappe left, um, they've fallen off a cliff, haven't they? They have. Now, finally, just Bundesliga, Germany. Uh, this was a tight affair. Unbelievable race, you know, from Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. But uh, Bayern Munich won out on seventy-eight points from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Leipzig f- finished third with Bayer Leverkusen on fifty-eight, and then Munchen Gladbach. And Wolfsburg finished it off in the Europa League. Um, the relegation was Hanover and Nuremberg. So that's pretty well. But there is a, a an actual playoff in the German League as well. Uh, with I think, have I mentioned that? No, I don't think I've. Stuttgart are playing uh, Union Berlin over two legs. Mm-hmm. So that will then finalise that for uh, your thoughts there, young so, Willem. Correct me, Dana. That was Bayern, Juventus, Real Madrid and PSG, yeah, and so the Man usual, City. so the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. I reckon some of those leagues need to have a look at salary cap and some finals to keep things interesting because that is getting a bit ridiculous. In well, my they opinion. all the the, the world um, spotlight of football would have been on uh, Australia last week. They all would have been watching and learning from us. So uh, maybe you're right, Willem. Maybe they yeah. will introduce a grand final into. <laughs> the I don't think I you'll thought, find that. But... Now, obviously, we've got Champions League, but that's yeah. obviously a week away, so we'll cover that next mm. week. And likewise with the Europa League. But this weekend, obviously. My boys and uh, Aston Villa, so we call them Peter's boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lockhorns on Monday, Championship at Wembley it's in Charlton. So it's the three big games. Three big so, games. So, so Sunderland and Charlton. So we've got Sunderland yeah. Charlton, and that's on the Saturday. Um, and again, that will be massive for Sunderland mm-hmm. after their free four from the Premier League. Yep. And then finally, you've got in the League Two, Premier. you've got Newport County and Tranmere Rovers. Mm-hmm. Mike Dean, the referee, yep. did you see that? That yeah, was absolute gold. Yes. Absolute gold. But the funny thing about it is that both those clubs have had some regular history at, at Wembley as well. There are some clubs that have never played at Wembley, but those two clubs have... Uh, have well, Villa to... are going back-to-back, aren't they? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. they've got that experience, which most mm. probably is an advantage mm. to Villa. But Sunderland have been to Wembley a couple of times this year. So. Yeah, no, even the League Two clubs. But you, you can't be feeling that confident, can you really, Dino? I mean, you, you guys finished sixth. You, no, I do you know, no, I do. Yeah. I actually am. Yeah, I'm confident. What do you think? I, I, what I, reckon, you think I reckon the pendulum swung. Oh, here we go. Well, I was initially going supporting Leeds, and I was thinking about Villa with Big Miller Yednak. But, Dino, your passionate enthusiasm has swung me. I think I'm becoming a bit of a ram for the week. There you go. There you go. I might get the job done. He's ramming it everywhere, Dino. Yeah, Johnny B, just remember, those rams. It's very, very quiet down in Nottingham. And just another one on those. You who, Johnny? We need to hear from <laughs> he did. Him. He did ring in the week. Did he? he did ring. Yeah, he gave me a bit, but that's okay. That's our mate Johnny from... Uh, Johnny B uh, from uh, Ruddington, where I grew up, and he's a Nottingham Forest supporter. Go on with him. Another one on those fixtures, as you've mentioned, we as Aussies should be supporting Charlton, should we not? Looks like that consortium is about to take over. Yeah, and that would be good, especially if they got promoted, then they're taking them up mm. at a higher level, and it's a much better proposition than having to go up again, because it's hard to get promoted. Well done, gentlemen. We're going to go uh, over to uh, Bangkok to see what the edge is doing. in uh, Bangkok. Yeah, as he uh, prepares. Uh, I'd like to be a fly on the wall following him around some of these exotic cities to find out what he's up to. He's a uh, uh, very influential man now, Michael. He is, uh, Michael. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys, that's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal yes, of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. This is stoppage time. The fourth official signals. There's about eight minutes left. And it is yet again one night in Bangkok with Michael Edgeley, the... Uh, well, travelling, Michael Edgley. Welcome to your show, Michael. Hello, Rob, and hello, Nigel's so giving you a little opener there. There we go. Just faded back there. 
Yeah, there we go. We know what that music sounds yeah. like. How are you, Edge? I'm really well. I'm really well. But I want to know how you guys are because uh, Robin, I, we uh, we didn't do so well with our A-League grand final prediction, did we, Rob? Well, look, we didn't, um, and um, we concede that. But after that um, shocking VAR decision, I, I was I was actually barracking for, for yeah, Sydney. Yeah, swung it, didn't you, it? You just wanted, you just didn't want a, the wrong decision to to. Um, to you know, be um, on the record at the end of the night. With the VAR um, decision, did uh, obviously for the listeners, Rob and I chose Perth to win the Adelaide Grand Final, and Dean chose Sydney. So I'll get him first because Dean probably wants to be But on the VAR stuff, did you think that Foxtel's camera angle was deceiving in in relation to that? No, mm, no we were no. talking to, to Steve Corica about that. and what, what, he, He's right. just seeing the same thing that he was seeing. Like, he was going, what, what are you doing? It's It was tight at the best of times, but wouldn't you sue the, saw the line? I mean, if they can't get the line right, what have we got VAR for? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that, and that's right. And maybe because um, it just was a little bit confusing for the viewers on TV, wasn't it? It was a game changer as well, Edge, because I think nil-nil suited Sydney because they were defending really well. They'd blocked out a lot of their threats. They didn't have one shot on target in the entire game. Alex Wilkinson had 17 clearances, which was six more than any other player on the park. Exactly right. So they had a game plan. Yeah. and uh, But I think had that gone the other way and they'd scored, then Perth would have had to really open up. And then, you know, that's like anything can happen. That's right, that's right. But I, look, um, and what did you think of the pitch? I thought the pitch... Mm. Um, didn't play as no, well. No, yeah, no, you, no. Did, you did flag that last yeah, week. Yeah, you and, did flag um, it. And, well, right. who was it yeah, uh, that thought, um, that slipped in the I first penalty? Oh, well, they were slipping. All no, over they're all the slipping. Mm. Yeah. But I thought uh, the pitch didn't suit Perth. Um, it's just it's just one of those ones which is a really tricky one because um, we know um, you know the stadium's fantastic, uh, but our game, you know, I think our game deserves a very good pitch, and that pitch was look, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, first class, was it? Let's be honest. No, I agree with that. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about the grand final so far. Um, Edge, um, the World Cup ticketing um, uh, fiasco, uh, you can't be described as anything, but it's particularly the way that FIFA responded in the first instance to try and brush it off and um, and then had to, to back down. Um, what's your take on all that? Well, I mean, obviously I'm close to the ticketing stuff because we've been... Um, monitoring that on behalf of all of our tour guests that are attending the World Cup with us. And there's been some, uh, without sort of going into the detail of it, there's been some sort of strange uh, to in and froings just with us in relation to getting tickets organised for guests. I was a bit worried about just how it was all going. And, and as it transpires, um, the FIFA ticketing department is not operating um, the tickets of this World Cup like they have for the Men's World Cup. So the organising committee... Um, and the organise the organisation that's running the World Cup in France, they've taken on the ticketing responsibilities because um, a lot of these stadiums are quite um, have their own ticketing systems. So coordinating them across one platform, I understand, has been a bit challenging for the organisation. So it's fair to say that it's been a um, it's been a disaster. I don't think you could really assess it any other way. I think the communications were poorly handled and. If you've spent a bit of time trawling through some of the reactions to mm-hmm. that uh, initial communication and then the clarification, which came came um, a little later, uh, was it was really disappointing. So FIFA's got their work cut out. Have you ever seen anything like this at a major... You've, you've, you've covered more events than most people have had at breakfast. 
I've seen I've seen it happen in Olympic Games regularly, um, where the ticketing's completely been um, well and truly uh, well and truly mishandled because at Olympic Games athletes get access to tickets, and then uh, the ones that aren't used get sort of put back into the system, and uh, it can be a bit uh, challenging with tickets uh, being. Um, uh, voided uh, when they're lies, but uh, I've never seen it in a football tournament of this magnitude, and it, it does appear that family groups in particular, mm. um, and in the, if you have a look at uh, the response in America, um, there's a lot of Americans going, obviously, um, because of the popularity of the American women's team, and it just appears mm. that family groups... There was one bloke who had a good sense of humour. He said, I, I, I wouldn't want to be the person that's going to have to sit next to my three-year-old. <laughs> Correct. You know, so there is, um, there is a lot of that. And there's a lot of American families going where there's been you know, mum, dad and three kids and mm. they've got five individual seats all over the joint. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, uh, FIFA's going to have its work cut out managing this process for the organising committee um, because I think there'll be some you know, pretty... Uh, hot-to-trot sort of action in the stadiums when... Well, you'll you'll be a reporter on the ground. Hey, Edge, um, what about the uh, FIFA decision to um, to stick with the status quo for uh, Qatar? Um, It just seems um, like uh, the sensible one in the end. Well, I mean, it's sensible. Look, I was was in favour of it because I thought expanding... I've always, um, you know, Dean and Wood know my... You guys know my commentary on this. Um, I felt that uh, Qatar hosting the World Cup independently was... Um, was a bad decision um, that if it was the Gulf region that was hosting that World Cup in the Middle East, it would have been fabulous because you could have uh, we could have used um, some fantastic stadiums in the United Arab Emirates and Oman and um, Kuwait and uh, those sort of places, Bahrain, uh, etc. But it just appears that it was all too hard with the politics um, and the and and so a for effort for Gianni Infantino because I think he genuinely was trying to expand the World Cup to make it a more memorable tournament for the Middle East. Um, but obviously, they've not been able to do it. Um, and uh, we, we stick with the status quo, which means we've got a FIFA World Cup in uh, in Qatar, in one city, with 10 stadiums. It will still have its advantages. Um, if you love your football, you'll be able to the FIFA World Cup and you'll be able to see a game every day, or maybe two games every day. It just means that it, it's going to be like no other FIFA World Cup previously. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be a very different fan experience. Not to say that it won't be a bad one, um, but uh, I did have um, a good look. There's two stadiums that are pretty much online now, and um, if you follow Tim Cahill on Twitter, he's a, an ambassador for the event, and he was over there with the, uh, the launch of the first stadium, and um, it just looks really spectacular. So yeah, I was talking earlier on in the show about a, a five-minute clip that um, that shows all of the stadiums, the ones that, as you say, are yeah. online and the ones that are, are getting close to completion. They do look incredible. Yeah, they do. I think from that perspective, it's going to be fantastic. We know that it's going to be a different experience for travellers. There'll be a lot of uh, cruise liners that'll be used as sort of um, temporary hotels uh, on that massive um, that massive uh, cruise liner docking area they've got in mm. Doha. So it, it'll be a very different experience. Um, uh, I'm The jury's out for me in terms of uh, how it all plays out, but uh, at least we have a bit of certainty now. Um, mm. It's not going to ex- be expanded and it's not going to... Um, uh, involve other countries, and in particular, it means. That what what are you? What are your um, green and gold army uh, uh, punters saying about Qatar? Are they um, are they talking about it already? And uh... I think there's a bit of a mixed reaction because a lot of our um, community, the green and gold army community, do really enjoy mixing uh, the World Cup experience with tourism activities, mm. and obviously we've been spoilt with 
with, uh, you know, the most recent World Cups being Russia, Brazil and South Africa, who all had magnificent tourism um, activities uh, that you could do in between the games. Um, so there was, there, was, there was such a fabulous tourism experience to go to the World Cup follow the Socceroos and then be able to take in all of the tourism highlights of those countries. So it will be a different um, experience in Qatar because the tourism activities aren't um, as, as, as numerous uh, or as extensive because we're all in one city. So it means that uh, from our perspective, uh, we will need to create content to ensure that everyone uh, is going to... Uh, I might be able to actually time. come to a World Cup this time, Edge, and use my Middle Eastern background. That's right. Yeah, I might have to be your liaison or <laughs> chef de mission. <laughs> right, well, you know, you, you were, there's a standing invitation. There. Oh. I'm not holding my breath whether you'll get a leave pass, but we'll see what happens. But yeah. no, I think... Well, uh, what, what month I, is I it in, Edge, just quickly? What month is it? Well, it's going to be in, in November and December, so the final, I think, is on the 17th of December. So it's um, it's in the Middle Eastern winter, which is fabulous weather. It was, it'll be similar to what uh, the Socceroos enjoyed at the Asian Cup in January. It'll be sort of, you know, 25 or 24 degrees during the day and about sort of, you know, 13, 14, 15 overnight. It's very stable conditions. It's actually very dry in the wintertime. Um, so it'll be, it'll be, from a weather perspective, that won't hold you back uh, in going. It'll just be weather... Um, whether you can, uh, you know, get the tickets that you want to get to fully experience the World Cup, but it will be a incredible experience for people that can go and have a swag of tickets and see, you know, well, you might be able to go for four or five days and see six or seven games, which would be mm. a fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, so yeah, 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 so there, could, there could be some upside there. Yeah. Hey, Edge, we better wrap it up, mate, because um, we're uh, running over time. So uh, safe travelling, and we'll, well, you'll be in France <laughs> next week. Uh, <laughs> Nigel, can't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it. Okay, Michael. See you, mate. I'm going to bring you two guys yes. uh, yes. to my Bangkok. Okay, you're on. Okay, Michael Edgley from Bangkok next week in France. We'll talk to him. And that is the end of Box to Box for another week. Dinner. It's Good a show. super show, yeah. Thank you, Willem. Thank yeah, you, well, Nigel. Modern ball boys. Absolutely, linesman. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game. <laughs>